listening to Speaking with One Voice with Rodney Payne. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, topics you'd like discussed on the show, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email us at rpayne at onevoiceinc.org. That's rpayne at onevoiceinc.org. You can also search for us on Acast, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Just look for Speaking with One Voice. Now, here's your host, Rodney Payne. Thanks for tuning in to part two of our amazing interview with the Honorable Raymond D. Kemp Sr. Now, back to the interview. I want to make sure I heard you right. You, I, I'm, I listened very intently, and you said you were four days in, <laughs> and you had no idea what Navy stood for. Never again volunteer yourself. You didn't know it stood for that. So you volunteered yourself four days in. So you were taking your heat and whatever heat would come from those under you from four days in for the next 33 years. Yes, and that. that's that's a real truth. And there was plenty of heat that came off of them non non marching, no push up doing, no no running jokers yeah. that I was all of a sudden responsible for as a 17 year old. And then you see, you saw an E nine who looked to basically destroy you through cultural racism and those types of things that were we were coming out of in the workplace and military at that point to some degree, but not at all in that situation. Right. And I mean, you. Now, I'm sorry for interrupting, but if you think about it, the, the, he's a master chief, so he's probably got 24, 25 years in the Navy, which meant that uh, I joined in eight, this is 1986, so 20 years before that was 66. So he was not just uh, an adult white male, uh, but he was uh, an adult white male wearing a uniform during that time of that civil rights kerfuffle, you know, that we're still trying to live beyond right now. And right. so his perspective, you know, was it was birthed in that, you know, early in his career. And now, you know, he's still exercising that upon me. And and the big deal about seeing a master chief, less than 1%, according to the law, U.S. Code Title 10, only less than 1% of the total force can be a, a master chief. And so they're like a unicorn. But mm. my, inter- my first interaction with that one was not, it wasn't a big deal to me. Other people might say it wasn't so friendly. Um, but what I knew is that once I have a chance, because my thought was the Navy is a meritocracy. If you work harder, you should prove yourself, then you can be successful no matter what that one master chief says. So it might have been a bit naive, but I was going hard oh. in the paint no matter what. So let, let's 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 see if we can sneak a leadership lesson out of this. Yeah. Because I'm sure you heard from others who were like you, uh, others who were around you, what you could not do and what the limits were and what the the unwritten code was, how do you as an emerging leader uh, from Oklahoma who's been diagnosed with ADHD learn, how do you decide that I'm not going to allow the external noise to impact my effort and my focus and my direction? Sure. I'm glad you asked that question that way, because what had happened for me is that through the stories I shared with briefly about my, my mother uh, and my grandmother, I learned that I had total control of my attitude, total control, no matter what someone said or what, or, or you know, the group of uh, kids at St. John's Episcopal School were saying to me uh, in a very negative fashion through the 70s while I was going to school there, no matter what they said, it had, I had full control uh, of my attitude. Uh, and, and I also believed what I had been told by my grandmother and um, by my uh, by my mom, and so um, they couldn't have an impact on my attitude, 
they couldn't have an impact on my belief. Uh, and they would not have this, the third thing. They would not have an impact on my character. And wow. so for me, those had, those became, even at a very young age in the Navy, those became my ABCs of leadership. And I still, you know, live and promote those right now. Attitude, belief, and character. Nobody can touch those. I got full control. And so when that uh, young sailor told me that, you know, Navy stands for this, I'm like, oh, it may stand for that for you, buddy, but watch me work. <laughs> and, oh. We, we could call it blind faith, we could call it naivety, or what, what I would call it, and I'm not sure you ever use it in this way, but this is how I see it. Mm -hmm. uh, I see that leadership begets leadership. And so you 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 were led in such a way that you be, you were a leader, and that's why it was you identified at 10 years old. So here we are, we're, we're in the Navy, starting at Sailor and working our way up, and we see, one other thing I want to talk about that that, that you said, you mentioned that you saw an E5 and an E6 that looked like you, which right. further solidified for you that this can be done. Right. And so basically your, your motto, it sounds like to me, your disposition is, if you put it in my hands, I win. Right. As long as it's in my hands. If I, if, if I get to control my outcome by what I do, then right. you can count it. I'm going to win. That is so amazing. So, so let, let, let's go through these years. We're going to fast forward. because I, I got a lot I want to get to because we got some good stuff okay. we're going to talk about. Sure. Now I want to talk about when you when you – the, the journey near the, when you become, when you get to command, when you get, when you get command, like what's right. the transition there? How does that work? What does that look like? Cause I want to understand that and face a couple of challenges there. We face at command. Sure. So as a, um, the ranking structure across all services is one through nine for the enlisted fourth for the enlisted force uh, for the Navy. What happens when you make it to seven, you become a chief. There's an initiation process, uh, a, a rigid uh, intellectual uh, initiation, as well as physical, you know, in those days, um, that takes you to the top 10%. Um, 2.5, 2 again, according to the law, 2.5% uh, can make it to the rank of senior chief, which is E8, uh, and then 1%, uh, same, same law, U.S. Code Title 10 to E9. Once there, you can uh, apply for uh, the command program. What, what happened for me is when my name came, down, came out on the list, you know, to uh, the promotion list, uh, we call it the advancement list in the Navy. Uh, when the advancement list came out, we happened to be having a, a party, a command party um, the, the next day. So all of the folks on my ship were at this big park. I was the only one who got promoted. And before I could close my door good, I could see the ship's command master chief, the commanding officer, and the executive officer, the, the top three ranking people on the ship coming towards me. And the first thing all of them said was, we want your package by Monday. <laughs> so I could go into the command program. So what that transition yielded for me was a selection to go to the U.S. Army Sergeant's Major Academy, which is the senior uh, and the most prestigious, if I will admit, for all those Army HUA folks out there, the most prestigious senior listed academy. And then I went to uh, my first ship as command. So that school um, is a, a school year long. The Navy school is uh, probably 
four months long. And what happens at that school, you, you learn some up higher levels of education. You take, you know, Myers-Briggs and learn about yourself. You take the Hogan's and the DISC assessments and so forth. You learn about these tools that you put in your tool bag uh, and use, you know, once you get to the point where you're now responsible for folks. And my first ship was the USS Mason Skydive Missile Destroyer. And there were three, roughly 300 people on board the ship when we did a deployment. So it's about 516 feet worth of get some uh, with all sorts of capabilities uh, as we get out to sea. But the 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 highest capability, our strongest capability, our most valuable asset, of course, are, are the sailors. And sailors don't get after it unless they have a reason to. Uh, and you've heard like me, it, it's credit's been given to many different people, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. <laughs> so that was my strategy uh, going in because the ship uh, previous to me getting there had a pretty rough go of it. And um, the challenges there was, okay, how do I motivate these sailors to do something that they're not interested in personally? How do I ensure that their families are providing the right amount of support to them while we're out on this combat deployment? And then how do I teach them to compartmentalize so they can stay focused while we're in a combat environment on board a ship? And so I started with that, that showing that there was a measure of care. So right around the time frame that there is a TV show called The Undercover Boss that first came out. And what I chose to do, you know, absent of that show, but the show kind of displays what I did is I would put on the most junior person's uniform and I would go out there and do the absolute um, most menial tasks uh, and the lowest level task with my sailors so they would know that there was nothing that was beneath me. And when I say I went from the keel of that ship, from the very bottom of it, the depths of it, to the very tip top antenna uh, with my crew members, I did. And that created an environment where they believed in me and they believed and knew that I cared and believed in them. And that stimulated uh, a, a, a measure of growth within each sailor uh, on board that ship, officers and enlisted, by the way. So some people used to, in the old days, they used to say the command master chief is, you know, the voice of the senior enlisted person of the uh, enlisted crew. That's just not true. That's said by people who haven't been there. What it is, the, the command level, we have a, a triad. It's the commanding officer, the executive officer, and the command master chief. And that triad, the commanding officer is responsible for teaching sailors how to fight outside the ship, defend the ship, and to exercise our will forward. Um, the executive officer is responsible for exactly that, the administrative functionings uh, within the skin of the ship. And the command master chief is responsible for teaching sailors how to fight the ship. So in the event that we take on battle damage, that was, for example, one of the areas that was my responsibility, uh, as well as ensuring that they had the proper tools, parts, and material to get their job done. Listen, time out, time out. I, <laughs> I, I know, I'm, listen, I'm going to give you something. You got to catch this. Press pause and write this stuff down. You have to get, you are getting leadership gold. <laughs> As we are listening to the Honorable Raymond D. Kemp saying, you you're getting leadership goal. He just told us when he takes over the ship, the condition it's in, he said he had to motivate. He had to teach. He had to teach focus. He put on a uniform and modeled leadership. He built a belief or a confidence 
in leadership. That that's a that's a strategy for success. And I'm not sure you caught yourself saying it, but I forgot I was doing an interview here and I went to school. I started writing stuff down <laughs> because the thing is that most leaders think that service is beyond them. Yeah. And, yeah. and that that's a challenge. And so I was in, in, in a situation recently where I would have been in, in military terms, the highest ranking officer on the property. And yeah. we had uh, about 400 cars trying to park them in a, in, a, in a space allowable for about 250 cars. Mm. I went and parked cars. And they said, why are you parking cars? I said, well, because they need to be parked. Right. I didn't have, I, but you're the, no, I'm, no, I'm the person that's helping you park your car. Can you please, that's right. what I'm going to do. And so <laughs> leaders find a way to serve, but I want us to make sure that you get that. Um, many people are self-motivated, but I, I think there are far more who are not, far more need a reason to be motivated. But there's, sure. but there are people when you're willing to put on that uniform and get in their place and do that job side by side, that becomes motivational because that validates the necessity of the function. Absolutely. If you, if you make it seem as if the function is useless, then who wants to do it? Uh, we call them menial jobs, but they wouldn't be a job if we didn't need it done. That's Someone's got to do it. If it, was, if it was menial, we would kick it off. We wouldn't do it. But there, everything here has a purpose. And I think that's a great, great lesson. So I do have a question. How, how many years had you served by the time you get this first command? Uh, I got to my first command. I was 24 years in. 24 years in. Yeah. About the same time the guy tried to run you off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's amazing. So listen, you're listening to Speaking With One Voice. I am your host, the coach, Rodney Payne. We've got the Honorable Raymond D. Kemp Sr. in the building today, having a great time. So now we've made it through this first command and, and, and we're on, on our way here and we're running out of time. So I want to get to this. Sure. Um, um, what's the, give me the, what you would say that is the largest leadership assignment you you believe that you had while you were uh, actually in service? What, what what you would say this is the biggest thing that I ever had to do, and what did it look like? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so for me, you know, contrary to what some of your listeners who might have served in the Navy would say, I would say the the biggest responsibility, and and I'd say the most fulfilling was a command master chief of Harry S. Truman, uh, CVN seventy five, the aircraft carrier. I did go on to be the inspector general from the Navy for the, for the Navy and sailor services after that, which means that I was touching programs for all 330,000 people. I did go on from there to be the fleet master chief of Navy Europe, Navy Africa, the first black person to hold that position and the senior black person in Navy. Very, very true. 60,000 or so people, combat operations happening in North Africa and in the Levant, which is the eastern part of the Mediterranean. Very true, absolutely. Have. Matter of fact, the first shoot down, air to air shoot down, air to air combat that we had had since Vietnam. True, responsible for all that. But the biggest responsibility from my perspective was knowing the names uh, and the faces of those 5,000 sailors that we took out on Harry S. Truman in a combat deployment. Nine month deployment where in a very, this, this, is, this may sound strange, I'm not sure, but it, it's a very uncommon thing that happens. We did a nine-month deployment, and we brought back every sailor. We did a nine-month deployment and brought back every aircraft. See, what happens with aircraft is there about 70 aircraft or so on board the ship. What happens with them is you fly them, you fly them, they break. You know, see, people's got, people have cars that break down. I mean, we put miles on top of miles, fly them in dirt, fly them in cold, uh, water, uh, cold conditions, fly them over salt water. Salt water is just not good for steel, by the way. And we brought back every aircraft. Uh, and at that point, we 
flew more missions than any other ship had ever flown in a combat environment. Not only did we bring the, the, um, the, the aircraft back, we brought back every sailor. Regrettably, I had never been on a deployment, at least not on a ship that size. I had never been on a deployment where there wasn't a suicide. I'd never been on a deployment where, you know, one way or another, someone had lost their lives, whether it be through uh, health conditions or, uh, or, or combat in and of itself until I was on that ship. And it just happened to be, you know, the ship that I was responsible for, all souls on that ship. I believe the, the way that we were able to do that is to create an environment of, of we, it's we, not me. You have an outward mindset when it comes down to how I'm operating. If, if there is uh, something that I'm doing is, that is going to be disruptive to somebody else, my first thought is how can I help them get that job completed as I get mine done? I'm not going to prioritize myself over someone else. So we, not me, was the method with which we were able to communicate um, with the crew and let them realize that it was important to know what everyone else did. And then when that deployment was done, one of the biggest inspections that there is in the Navy uh, is something called uh, Aviation Maintenance Inspection, AMI. We passed that with no down checks, so, which means we got 100% that had never, ever been done before in the history of the Navy. The next thing we had to do was overcome uh, what, what's called uh, in-service inspection. That is, we have a team of people, a command dedicated to going on board a ship and checking it from head to tail, from the top wire to the lowest portion of the keel. We passed that. Another thing that had never been done within 90 days of a combat deployment. And so when I say that that was my biggest job, not just because of the 5,000 people, not just because of the combat deployment, but the way sailors left there. Oh, by the way, we had the hot in the Navy, the way we show proficiency within our profession is by taking a, an exam, what we call a rating exam. Our scores, our raw scores across the board were ahead of the Navy for three years in a row. And so for me, that was the the ship that was kind of the biggest deal. That was the command. That was the biggest deal because it was, you go from theory of leadership. Because a lot of people talk about leaders. A lot of people who claim to be coaches out there. A lot of people who, you know, claim to be executive leadership authorities and so forth. But how many of them have truly done it? And I had a theory uh, how, you know, leadership ought to be done. But through my career, I was able to put that theory to practice, test, prove, and assess which way was the best way, and I found it. That is amazing. One, as I'm listening to you speak about it, um, and, and you'll get a chance to listen to this back, and when you listen to it, you will hear yourself transition from uh, a, a, a naval highest enlisted accolades, ribbons, bars, stripes, the whole nine yard to you became a caregiver for, and you held yourself personally responsible mm. for that number of souls. Yeah. And, 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 and I, 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 it's a beautiful thing to watch because a leader is never about position. It's about the mission. It's about True. what are we trying to get accomplished? And so I think that's great. So I'm not going to run out of time on you. So we're going to get, I want to take that and transition. Sure. Now you're, I thought you were done with the military, but you're the honorable Raymond D. Kemp Center. So you, you're just different. You're still, you're, you know, president calls you up. You got you to take a few trips a year. I get it. Uh, so I want to talk about really talking about kind of how that came to be and what happened. Sure. And then from that, just let's just transition 
right into what Kemp Solutions is all about. I want to talk about that. Okay, good to go. Uh, one one is quick story. I think it's just important that your listeners understand that um, w- when someone says that they served in the Navy, uh, says that they've, they've served in the military, it oftentimes goes into the community uh, as well. And and that means, you know, service within the community. Um, and then this very quick story, I think you might have heard the first time we met, um, it, it sometimes it can be harmful. And so there was a, a terrorist group by the name of Al-Qaeda. Uh, I know you've heard of them. And they had put out a list back in 2015 of 100, you know, people that they, and they sent this list to their cells in America, by the way, that's true in America. Uh, they sent this list out to their cells. They said, if you see these 100 people, you know, in the streets in your community, kill them, you know, go to their homes. If you know where they live, behead them, their families and so forth. And my name happened to be on that list and, the, and my photo and the correct address. And so what we haven't talked about and, and we won't because we've drawn long, but um, combat operations is something that's very serious and can have an impact uh, on the community. And I just don't want to, to let that ride by. Um, when it comes down to the, the transition and you hear something that with Tinker Air Force Base right in proximity of your location, uh, your brick and mortar location, all these listeners are all over the country, but um, when people transition out of their, their military service, it take there's about three days worth of requirements um, to to transition out. Basic training at, at its at its lowest level, it, or it's, it's it's yeah at its lowest level uh, for everyone, whether it be officer enlisted, whatever assistant means. There's there's not one that's less than three months, but you get three days uh, of information to transition out. And that's really, really tough. And it wasn't any different for me. I worked up to the very last day. I was hosting a Eurasian conference with several African countries, Europe and Asian countries, as the name um, would would uh, uh, would lend itself to. And th- I did that. I had a retirement ceremony. Money flew back to America. I uh, had another retirement ceremony because the brother said I couldn't leave without saying goodbye to them, and them saying it to me personally. So I had one more ceremony uh, in the in the U.S. And then yeah, that was the end and the silence was deafening. But what I found myself, uh, even in the midst of that silence, that sunken place, sometimes uh, I was able to lean on my friendships uh, and people who also had been through that same transition. So I, I got a phone call one day saying, hey, we'd like you to be involved in the uh, Biden you know, presidential campaign. There's a group called um national security leaders for Biden. They didn't have any enlisted folks, but they, they called me and I joined in, started a recruiting effort. Next thing you know, uh, brought on Kamala Harris and then he won the election. Uh, and in that process, they said, well, hey, are, are you interested in any positions within the administration? You know, apply here. And I'm not, I'm retired, book bags down, feet up. I got a plan, you know, what my initial plan, but you know, it's it's a plan. And so I, I, I was a hard, a hard no on that. But then I realized that I had visited several um, cemeteries around the world that are maintained. And I didn't know that it was maintained by the American Battle Monuments Commission. And so there was an opportunity uh, to join that organization. And my name was on that short list of people who got appointed. It's 11 of us uh, commissioners. And so uh, long way of saying between my career activity, which created it, an opportunity for me to be involved in the community, in the voting, our civic duties, the voting process, 
which then yielded itself um, to get my name on a list for selection to the American Battle Monuments Commission. And it's been it's, it's been pretty incredible. The great thing about that is that it has allowed me to take my 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 own company, Kemp Solutions, and wear it all around the world. And so I spoke in Rome. I spoke in Florence last year. I was also in Paris, uh, London, where I'm going actually back this year. In a couple of weeks, I'll be in Memorial Day. I'll be speaking in Tunisia, uh, North Africa later on this year over to the Philippines. And everywhere I go, I'm, I'm wearing my brand. And so, you know, Kim Solutions has developed relevant relationships pretty much everywhere uh, that I've gone out to and those folks who are seeking to build resilience because large and small companies, Roddy, let me tell you, large and smallest companies uh, who have a diverse uh, organization who are looking to build resilience and loyalty within their groups, they reach out to me. And what they'll hear is a soundbite of, of what we've talked about today, leadership, techniques that will be useful in developing strong men and women within their organization. That, that's amazing. So as you're building your company, um, what what's the pillar? I, I love, we've titled this episode, uh, uh, you know, getting this mastering your path to leadership. What does that look like when you, when you master a path, what does that look like? Yeah. So when you master a path, you enter into uh, certainly your workplace and your sphere of influence with a measure of confidence that is one that you've lived out. You know, your measure of confidence, just as I did, you know, wearing that junior sailor uniform uh, as the most senior person on board the ship, letting people know that there is not just a level of care like, oh, I hope the best for you, but it is a, it is uh, in your language there's nothing beneath me. I am a part of this team. It is it is a we environment, not me, no matter how senior I am. And so though I may not be as proficient at every job within the organization, particularly for larger organizations, what people will know is I'll be there to lend a hand, uh, provide an effort when something comes up where I could be utilized. That's awesome. So tell, tell our listeners, how, how can they get in contact with the Honorable Raymond D. Kemp Sr. I love saying that. That's so fun. And how can they get in contact with Kemp Solutions and, and maybe how you can help them? Sure. I'm I'm on all the uh, social media platforms as Raymond D. Kemp. Again, that's Raymond D. Kemp on um, well, all the social media. So Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, uh, and LinkedIn uh, as well. Uh, my website is kemp-solutions.com. Again, that's www.kemp-solutions, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. And I can get you started for sure. I'm also um, qualified, which is great. I ran into you at the John Maxwell uh, event. So I'm certified through John Maxwell as a uh, speaker, as a coach, uh, and as a trainer, I'm also uh, certified through the Y Institute to help people discover their why and find their purpose. Uh, for those who have read that book by uh, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Uh, and then also, you know, Resilience Building Leadership Program. Uh, I'm a, a trainer uh, in that uh, specialty as well. So uh, if folks reach out to me, again, looking to increase their own uh, leadership techniques, I'm, I've got some availability when it comes down to coaching. And certainly if there's organizations that are looking for a keynote speaker, uh, again, my specialty uh, is, is loyalty and resilience. However, I've got a fair amount of experience. I can talk on just about any topic that they request. 
That is awesome to hear you share that information. And, and what I want our, our listeners, I talk about leaders. Um, in John Maxwell's book, the, the best-selling leadership book of all times, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, the very first law is the law of the lid. And what that law suggests is that a team can never outgrow its leader. And so it becomes the leader's responsibility to grow their lid. You listen to 33 years of experience going back to childhood uh, at 10 years old, being identified as a leader, and you're listening to brand new certifications and still growth and development. So what that means is that as, as a leader, uh, growth is perpetual. It's a choice. You have to decide to do it, but it's perpetual. And when you do that, you put yourself in the best position to succeed and to help others to succeed in that. Man, Raymond, I want to thank you for hanging out with us today. So many wonderful lessons that we've learned. And uh, I honestly, I got to tell you the truth. I just got to be honest with you and my audience. I I held back on the combat stories because that way I would have a reason to ask you to come back because I want to learn leadership lessons learned in combat because those stories are phenomenal. And I don't want to shortcut any of those, but we got more than we bargained for today in our leadership. Uh, Oh my goodness. What, what motivate, teach, focus, model leadership, create belief and confidence and support. And if you're listening, what you heard was uh, Gerald Brooks, one of my mentors says this, when you become a leader, you lose the right to think about yourself. Mm. And so that's that's exactly what Raymond has taught us today is that that uh, it wasn't about me on this ship. We have we need to bring back all 5,000. Right. We need to bring back all of our equipment and everything needs to be in tip top shape. We need, to, we need to set the model of what's going to, we don't care that's never been done before. We could have scored 10% less and still been at the top of the class, but right. we got the best we could get, which made us, we were perfect together. And I, I love that. And that's a, that's a line that uh, I use from, remember the Titans? Oh yeah, uh, they're losing the last game, and and uh, he says, "Coach, with all due respect, that's not good enough." You know, I'm not perfect by far, I me, mean, and they're you're not, they're not perfect, but together as a team, right. we are perfect. And if it's all the same to you, I'd like to stay that way. That's so right. I, I I love that quote; it helps us. But uh, listen, Raymond, you have any final words for our audience before we get out of here? I will say that I hope that everyone uh, stays encouraged, uh, continue to follow this podcast as I, as I did my own study before I got here. Uh, and then just take 10 two-letter words with you. 10 two-letter words that'll make you a better uh, leader, certainly make you a better man, make you a better woman, uh, they and them and there. Uh, but those 10 words are, if it is to be, it is up to me. If it is to be, it is up to me. It takes away all of the responsibilities, all that wanting for someone else. Do it yourself because you can yeah, that, that goes back to uh, they, you were your disabilities were disallowed. That's right. It is. To be. Listen, <laughs> thank you so much again, Raymond, to our guests, to our audience tonight. I am Rodney Payne. I am your host, the coach. So glad you're with us. I want you to do one thing for me. Keep tuning in and let's keep growing together. You've been listening to Speaking with One Voice. Please remember to follow Rodney Payne on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rodney R. Payne. We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback, so please feel free to leave us comments. And if you would, rate and subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate that as well. Don't forget to set up for notifications so you can get the latest updates and social media posts and get new podcasts when they're released. As always, use the hashtag speaking with one voice or simply SWOV on any of your social media posts. On behalf of Rodney Payne, thanks again for listening to Speaking with One Voice.